welcome to Changing Academic Life. I'm Geraldine Fitzpatrick, and this is a podcast series where academics and others share their stories, provide ideas, and provoke discussions about what we can do individually and collectively to change academic life for the better. So welcome to today's conversation, which is with Scott Robertson. We recorded this when we were at the CHI conference in Denver in May. Scott's a professor in the Information and Computer Sciences Department at the University of Hawaii, and he comes from a background in psychology and cognitive science, and he's also done some acting, including in a show that you will probably know. Scott shares his experiences here in particular about being rejected for tenure not just once but twice and how he dealt with that. He's a wonderful example of how to move on to new possibilities when things don't work out and making them work for you. His story is one of perseverance and courage, doing what you care about and the importance of good mentors and being part of a community. So he's now in a tenured position and enjoying the freedom to follow his research mission around civic engagement and getting back to acting. So Scott, thanks very much for taking the time to speak with me this morning. I'm uh, looking forward to it. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, we first met just on, was it Sunday at the Career Development Workshop? That's right. That was fun. Both mentors. Mm-hmm. And we had been talking a little before that we, in preparation for the Kai stories, yes. which you participated in. Yes, interestingly. Um, <laughs> but there was one interesting fact that came up at the Creed Development Workshop. You were in the Brady Bunch. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's right. It's, um, sometimes it's my claim to fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a, an actor as a child and on TV, and that... I happened to get on an episode of The Brady Bunch, and ever since then, um, it's been, yeah, a topic of interest for many people. (laughs) (laughs) Any other notable roles that we should be looking out for since? Uh, Well, if you go back into that period of time, you can also look at a film called Period of Adjustment. Mm -hmm. It had Jane Fonda in it and some other people, and you'll see me a very young age. Wow. So you've mixed with the, with the rich and famous. Well, I never act, talked with her, to tell you the oh, truth. Okay. And uh, a lot of people ask me that about the Brady Bunch. They, mm. In fact, it's kind of interesting because um, a lot of people ask me things about the Brady Bunch as if it were a real place and a real <laughs> family. <laughs> they ask me about the house and mm, the neighborhood mm. and things like that, which of course are not real, yeah. and about the people. Yeah. And um, it's interesting. I don't know anything about yeah. the people, even though I was on yeah. set with them. We didn't yeah. talk. But um, what we're actually talking to you about today is just yes. just your uh, work experience as an academic. But I think it's always fascinating the rich lives that people have around their work life. You know that that you know. Do you still play out those acting interests? Oh yes. Interests? So I. I stopped for a long time mm. to focus, I guess, on my career. Mm. To, well, first to go to college mm. and then uh, to start my career and have my career. But then I came back to it yeah. mid-career, I guess, mm. and started being on stage again. And I think it has actually enriched my, my life and the later part of my academic life. I don't see them as unconnected. Right. So. Can you say more about that? Yeah, so a human-computer interaction, I think, is about understanding other people, um, you know, the us- as we call them, the users, yeah. but certainly it's about understanding other human beings. And I think acting is exactly the same. It's about trying to understand the character that you mm. are inhabiting and that you are trying to uh, communicate to other people. So I, I feel like it's very much the same thing. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> and also just having an outside interest as well. It's from, been good from... to have that. I. I think I would have had trouble doing that earlier in my mm. career. Why is that? Because it's, um, well, in this particular instance, acting is a, it is a big time sink. Mm-hmm. So, and it's very difficult to, to manage your time. Someone else is usually in charge of yeah. your time. Yeah. But um, it also doesn't allow you to travel. If you, go, if you get into a show yeah. for live acting, live theater, mm. then you're stuck there for six weeks or eight weeks or something. And, makes it hard to travel, but um, at this point in 
in life, I think I can mm. do those two things. Right. Plus, I really I do like having something that where I don't think about my work or yeah. my my job or anything like that, where I really inhabit a different world. You know, whatever it happens to be, when I go there, and there's almost a little ritual too involved, where when you you go and you have a period of time before a show starts, when you are putting on clothes, mm. whatever clothes you have, mm. where you're putting on makeup, you're talking with the other characters, and of course there's always usually a little period just before the curtain opens that you have a, yes, a time to So here we are both focus. doing this, this <laughs> gesture that you, no one can see about focusing in. Yes, just, yeah. just what we did yeah. before we started this talk where mm. we kind of waved our hands and said, time here to we are. Yes, locate yourself yeah. in this new space. Yeah. Actually, that's a good strategy, um, going off another tangent altogether. That's actually a really good strategy in everyday life, in any transition to a new task, I find. Just taking that moment to take a deep breath and do that, focus in and sort of bring yourself present to that next meeting, especially when you've got back-to-back -back meetings and things. Yes, to... Cent I guess it's a centering exercise yeah. of some kind yeah. where you try to find yourself and get back to where you were. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, getting back to where you were, oh, where, yes. did, where did you start um, to get you know, from a career? So I think your f first degree was in the social sciences. Yes, right. So I went to uh, UC Irvine mm -hmm. and um, studied social science. I didn't really know what I was interested in, but I took a course the very first summer for some reason. I don't remember why it was summer. I was taking a course in the summer, but I took um, intro to psych and the professor was a neuroscience um, kind of person mm -hmm. and that was his you know his uh, his uh, entry into psychology i guess and i remember that our textbook had a cardboard cutout in the back you could pull it out and then it had a you could turn it make it into a brain it had you know tab a goes into slot a so early 3d yeah it was like a 3d brain and i put it yeah. together and i put it on my desk mm. and for some reason i was fascinated by mm. it but uh, so then I wound up getting a degree in social science and the end of that experience was uh, doing an experiment, a psychology experiment. So I thought, yeah, I, I think psychology would be for me. So I decided to focus then on uh, cognitive psychology. I got a master's degree at Cal State Fullerton. Mm -hmm. And during that period of time, I was really lucky to work with a mentor, uh, Art Gracer, who was very much a, a researcher. He was from UC San Diego. He had been in the cogn early cognitive science milieu at mm -hmm. San Diego. Mm -hmm. And um, he was a very serious researcher. I remember the very first research paper I wrote, he marked it up very severely. Oh. And he said, uh, if you want to be serious in this field, you're going to have to, you know, knuckle, do this knuckle right. Knuckle Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, I think as a consequence of that experience and doing the work I did with him in publishing, I was able to uh, get into the cognitive science program mm -hmm. at Yale, which was uh, with Shank and Abelson at the time, so it was, it was really a fantastic experience, although it was difficult. Mm. <laughs> and um, yeah, so that was my focus, was to do cognitive science. I was very interested in uh, language comprehension because that was what was going on at, um, with Shank and Abelson. Mm -hmm. But somehow during that time, I started to get interested in uh, computing. Well, actually, the very first time I touched a computer was at Irvine. I used a computer in my statistics course. Right. The professor there had written a kind of an intelligent tutoring program of some kind. And I was fascinated by it. I could see the computer in another room. It was a big VAX computer. And... I was kind of fascinated by it, and I took a programming class early on. And I did pretty well in that. So, I, and then of course the AI lab at uh, Yale was all about computing. Mm. So, one of the I wound up having an advisor there, John Black, who was getting interested in the field of human-computer interaction, which was very very beginning. Mm. So, what was the first Chi was in '81 or something? Yeah. 80, mm. something like Something that. early, yeah, in the 80s. And I wound up doing a dissertation in, on how people use text editors. 
which was also another big deal at the time, I yeah. don't know, using text editors, yeah. and presenting it at CHI. So that was my very first experience with the CHI conference. Mm. I remember Don Norman was sitting in the front row, and I was very intimidated. I by can that. imagine. I <laughs> and um, yeah, so that that wound up being my direction right. was human computer interaction. So you have an interesting um, ex story to tell then from what happens from then on in mm -hmm. trying to because you know, you're now in a in a a permanent academic position as a full professor at University of Hawaii. Yeah, so the, but the uh, path there is... Uh, right, so the end of the story, let's, let's say that first, is that I'm now a, a full professor at University yeah. of Hawaii. And the reason that's relevant is because it wasn't a straightforward path to get there. So, and I've been, uh, well, so I started the usual academic path, assistant professor mm -hmm. uh, pathway. And uh, I guess we won't say where these places were necessarily, <laughs> but I was in a psychology department and uh, publishing in HCI. And when it came time for a tenure evaluation, it, the issue was, uh, what is HCI exactly? What is the CHI conference? We never heard of it. Um, it's not an APA. Uh, you're not publishing in APA journals, American Psychological Association mm -hmm. journals, etc. And the short version is I failed to get tenure in my first uh, job. So you, you, you're in a psychology department? I was in a psychology department, yes. You know, that's a, that's a debate and tension and challenge that people are still having now often. Yes. In, in getting, because the, the different publishing model in this, in this research area uh, makes it hard you know, to understand across disciplinary boundaries. I know, and I was, I'm sorry to hear that because we were just in um, a, an early career mentoring mm, yeah. uh, situation, you, you and I were in there, and mm. I heard that from several people yeah. that they were feeling maybe misunderstood in yeah. their whatever position they were in because of this exact same problem. Yeah. You know, how is HCI really psychology or is HCI really computer science or whatever department they happen to be in? Mm they had to make a case yeah. that it was something. Yeah. So I was sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it is crazy that we're still having those arguments. Yes. But did you have any but mentors then? You know, it's yes. like so, to have got all through to the final tenure decision and right. then to hear that. Were there no mentors on the way to help shape or give advice? I, had, uh, I have had a couple of very good mentors throughout my entire mm -hmm. career who helped me at these transition points. So, and, and I'll be happy to go through some, mm. some of those issues. I think before it happened, I, nobody knew it was going to happen. Right. You know, and it all really looked like smooth sailing. Because you, as far as you were concerned, you were successfully publishing in the key I was, uh, and forum in, in your field. Yes, and I had gotten good you know, third year reviews mm. and all that kind of stuff. And I was going to Kai all the time and mm. I felt very much uh, mm. part of the Kai community. Mm. Um, but of course I was really alone in my department yeah. in feeling part of the Kai community. Yeah. They, they never heard of it. Yeah. So when that did happen though, I was able to rely on mentors in the Kai community mm. and a couple in particular who've been just wonderful in helping me, well, first of all, to, uh, well, I think I can say a few names, probably. Uh, Gary Olson, mm. uh, I had uh, wrote a long uh, letter about the CHI proceedings Great. and um, the you know rejection rate and the yeah. uh, the rigor of the the rigor of process. the whole field yeah. and all that to try to help in that situation. Mm. And um, unfortunately, no, that didn't help. Mm. But he tried very hard. But that hard. was great. Yeah. Yeah. And. Mm. Um, then Jack Carroll yeah. has also been my mentor yeah. all the way through this process, and he helped me uh, figure out my next step. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I went to IBM after that. So I have also had the experience of going in and out of industry mm -hmm. and academia. Mm -hmm. Before you go on to talk about that, do you remember what the experience was at the time, how you felt? It was, it? It was incredibly devastating. Yeah. Yes, I, I will say that. Um, because, you know, you work pretty hard to get to that point mm -hmm. and 
uh, trajectory was going mm. really nicely at that time. Um, so, yeah, it was a, quite a, a shock. I also, strangely enough, I think this is right, yeah, I was also, uh, no, not quite. I was, I was um, starting to become involved with the Kai community and doing some things with, uh, like being panels chair for mm -hmm. Kai and mm -hmm. things like that. So I felt very much part of the Kai community. Yeah. How long did it take to sort of get over it or move on or settle it? This is one of those things where when you look back on it, you wonder why you spend so much time thinking about it. You know, mm -hmm. when you're, when, once it's over, then you know what's happened. But as mm -hmm. you're going through it, of course, you don't know what's happening. Mm -hmm. So it did take me a long time. Luckily, the next job that I got, when I did go to IBM, it was... a a pretty smooth transition, even though I was honestly very afraid of that. I was intimidated about yeah. IBM as a place, and um, I had no idea how to be a researcher in a, in a uh, company. Mm. But, um, but yeah, during the year of, you know, as soon as the 10-year denial happened, I felt very out of place you know, because it's not like you get the tenure denial and then the next day you don't have to go back. You mm. pretty much have a whole year of um, at the institution oh. knowing that you're on your way out. The so-called terminal year. I love that phrase. Oh, that's a terrible the phrase. The terminal year. <laughs> and, um, oh. but it, it's the, the good is, side of it is it's supposed to be a period during which you can, you know, figure out what's, what's, what's next. next. So that's nice. But, but it's very awkward. Tough. Yeah, awkward. Yeah. Because you know that you don't have a future there. Your colleagues know. Yeah. And I will say another odd thing about that was um, the, the tenure denial was because of a vote that I missed by a, a less than half a percentage point. So you required, it, they required a two-thirds vote in your favor of the department. And I had just under that, you know, for honestly a fraction oh. rounded down to under two thirds. So I felt like it was um, extremely, I don't know, extremely random really. Mm. If one other person had mm. shown up that yeah. day or something, yeah. it would have been all different. Yeah. And, and maybe one other person on the committee was wavering a bit, yes or no. And if yes. they had have just switched the other way. Well, so, so those kind of things, yeah, you ask, you know, did I think about it much? So those mm. kind of things did occupy my yeah. mind for a long time. Yeah. And again, like I say, in retrospect, I wish I hadn't even thought about them. But yeah. of course, I thought about them quite a bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the time, you, I don't know, you mull over them and stir yes. over them, don't you, yeah. for a while? Yeah. But, um, mm. but, you know, in the, the other side of it is that it did allow me to move on. Mm. So in thinking back on it, you know, what if I had stayed there? Everything would have been quite different mm. and that doesn't necessarily mean it would have been any better mm. it could have been not gone well you don't know or so so it is survivable that's the that's the good main to point hear. Good and to hear. not just survivable but also uh, then you can go on to the next thing and I, I kind of have the philosophy that you should make the best of whatever situation you're in mm. A lot of people told me, um, oh, you know, everything happens for a reason, mm. which is something I do not believe. Mm. But I do believe that you can turn a situation into, yes. uh, to your advantage yes. uh, if you focus on it yeah. and try. Yeah. Yeah. You can choose to respond to it, to the situation that you're in and do something with it. Yes, right. Mm. So then I went into um, to industry. And I was at IBM for a while, and then I came. Uh, we're in Colorado right now, and I came to Colorado uh, to go to US West, which was one of the uh, Baby Bell mm -hmm. labs, and worked with a lot of interesting people, and really did uh, work that was quite different than I would have done if I'd stayed in the psychology department. The psychology department, I was uh, still focusing on language comprehension, and I. I enjoyed what I was doing. Mm -hmm. But of course, once I went to IBM and then at US West, it started to really be much more about human-computer interaction. So at IBM with uh, Jack Carroll, uh, we worked on intelligent tutoring system mm -hmm. for object-oriented design, which I had to really 
come up to speed on. Yeah. I, I had never done object-oriented yeah. programming before yeah. then. And um, then, you know, here at US West, we were working on interactive television applications and things like that. And so it became very much applied HCI. Yeah. But since there were research labs, um, we were able to, um, you know, publish at CHI and publish at CSCW and really stay part of the research community. Mm. Mm. So uh, along that period of time, I actually wound up chairing the CHI conference right. here in Denver. And I remember giving a talk to a bunch of people at that time about the importance of the CHI community and how I really felt that it was, it was my community. Because by then I had skipped through you know, a university yeah. and uh, a couple of companies and so then you know, I didn't, but I didn't feel adrift. I felt like I still had a, an anchor, mm. and it was the Kai community. Mm. So, mm. yeah. But you didn't stay in industry. Right. So then um, US West and their spinoff, Media One, they started getting uh, bought up by everybody. So Comcast bought one of them, and AT&T bought the other one, and like that. So it seemed like a good time for everybody to escape to other situations so we all started doing that and I thought I'll go back to I'll give it another shot <laughs> very <laughs> so, brave yeah brave maybe I, I think that might be a good word <laughs> I'm not sure I think there might be other words so I went back and um, I started uh, with, without tenure again so I started the trail to tenure a second time and what uh, this faculty, what sort of faculty were you in? It was now an information science mm -hmm. um, school, like an iSchool. And um, so that, the fit was a little bit better. Mm. It was definitely not psychology anymore. And um, however, the, uh, <laughs> to jump to the <laughs> end of that story, uh, the second time around, I also uh, missed tenure. <sighs> and so I have two tenure denials in my uh, past. Um, and which what was the story there? Um, the story there, I think, was still the continuing story of what is CHI, although it's sort of interesting because that university has now become, hired quite a few people who are mm. in this field. Mm. And I have a feeling if I was there again, this yeah. wouldn't happen. But. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was also, I decided to change my research interest. So I had been in industry and I had been working on, you know, interactive TV and mm. some research, uh, some knowledge management kind of things, which didn't carry over. You know, when I went back into the university, I thought I'd like to do something completely different. Mm. So I started uh, looking at uh, electronic voting systems and at um, political participation using right. technology. Mm completely new area for me. So in a way, I started a whole new research area. And I think that cost me a little bit yeah, in terms of... Track um, record and... Yeah, in terms of publishing. Yeah. Because I, it did take me a while to get, yeah. get up to speed on that. And when it came time for a tenure decision, I think you know, one question is, is this person an expert in this area? Mm. I think there was some question about that. Right. It was another close decision, though. But it doesn't matter how yeah. close it was. And was the decision to move to studying electronic voting and citizen participation, and that was that driven by some core passion or interest? Like what, what, what underpinned that shift to that particular topic area? I think yes. I think I wanted to start my research to start having some impact, you know, in the in the real world that wasn't about. Um, I don't know, entertainment or something like mm. that. So quite a bit of the interactive television work mm. and all that. It, it's about entertaining people. Mm. So that's a good thing and people need that. But I wanted something a little bit more meaty, I guess, to worry about. Mm. It also just happened to coincide with um, electronic voting machines becoming a big issue in the United States. Yeah. And it seemed like it was a place where HCI researchers could really make a difference, you know, the design mm -hmm. of these, these devices. I liked the idea that they were, they needed to be used by every possible kind of person. You know, the demographic there, mm -hmm. the user demographic mm -hmm. is 
basically everybody. Everybody. And yeah. um, so that was challenging. Okay. Hard and to do a persona for um, the population. Right, right. Yeah. And then pretty, pretty early on, I, I realized that it's not the voting machine per se that's critical. It's the it's the educational. But by, by the time you get to the voting machine, you've already made a decision, hopefully. Mm. Um, but before that, while you're making the decision and while you're learning about the issues or the politicians or whatever, mm. that's where the real challenge is, where we could make a difference um, with technologies mm. to help people do that. Mm. So I started to get the idea that we could maybe combine those two things, that voting and decision-making and information gathering mm. should all be part of one one thing, and, and, and all of us as citizens should be doing this. So it would be nice to have technologies that would, would help. Mm. It also happened to be about the time that social technologies right. um, started, Facebook and so on. So, so about, what was that, That would have been 2000. I think Facebook was 2005 or oh, 2007, yeah. something yeah. like that. So it was a little before that, yeah. but um, once those technologies came on board, yeah. it was clear that they were going to play a big role. Yeah, open new possibilities. Yes. So I'm, I'm really interested in the fact that you change, you know, going back into academia, having had the process, the experience that you had with the, the tenure denial first round, um, that you chose to move into a, a very different topic area that you didn't necessarily have the background in, mm -hmm. but it connected to something that was important to you about you know, trying to have an impact. Were you consciously aware at that time, when you made that decision to do that, that you might be jeopardising that next tenure case, that it might be hard to build up a track record, or was it just about doing something that you really wanted to do and believing that it would work out? Oh, that's a really good question. I didn't give that any consideration. I mm. didn't think this is not a good idea. Mm. Um, in fact, I thought it was a good idea, mm. and I still think it was a good idea, yeah. because... Yeah. I feel like you have to do what you care about, yeah. you know? So I think if I had tried to just keep doing what I was doing in order to get tenure, I, mm. I wouldn't have enjoyed it or mm. liked it. Yeah. Um, Interesting trade-offs, aren't they? I mean, like, they are, yeah. yeah. And when you're finished with, when you make a transition like that, I think it's a good opportunity to reflect on mm. You know, what am I going to do in this mm. new context? Am yeah. I just going to keep doing the same thing? Or is this an opportunity to mm. make a change? Mm. But I guess there is some risk to mm. that. And, and it's easy in hindsight to see that there well, is the risk. Yeah. But I was just curious to see whether you, in, in you know, still believing it was a good decision, still you know, had an inkling that it might have been a risky decision. Yeah, it's funny. I, I don't think I... Ever thought I, I've made some, I think, some bad decisions here and there, but mm. I never thought of them as risky mm. in that sense. Mm. I guess I, I never focused so much on the, I, on the tenure issue. Mm. Maybe I don't know if this is a lesson or not, but I, I focused on what I cared about, yeah. and I did what I cared about, yeah. and um, you know, I, I couldn't really write things that I wasn't interested in. I couldn't sustain you know, the energy to, mm. to mm. finish an experiment or write something mm. on something I, would, I didn't care yeah. about. So I think, luckily, in my career, pretty much everything I've done is something I really cared about at the time. Yeah. So I think that's important because it makes me feel like I don't particularly have any regrets about anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, you still had to go through a tenure denial again. Yes, right. So, so can you talk us through the, the experience of that second denial then? Yes. So Tenure having denial, yes. denial, just saying denial sounds really harsh. So having not learned my lesson the first time around, I tried it the second time around, and I was again surprised because I had gotten good feedback all the way through. And this, I think, is a real lesson for well. Now that I am, you know, in a position where uh, I have tenure finally, mm. and I can, I'm on tenure committees. I try to say we really have to be clear with non-tenure um, non professors yeah. about what we think because yeah. I was really 
told that I was doing fine. Yeah. I remember my third year review, it said, I think it said exactly something like, um, just keep doing what you're doing or something like that. So. And is there any appeal process where you can bring that up? Oh, yes. Up? I went through a big okay. appeal process okay. and all this stuff. And um, if there was ever a waste of time, that was probably it. I, I spent a lot of time on the appeal process. I put a lot of thought into it. You know, I made the argument and all that kind of stuff. And I, I don't think, I think that I should have moved on um, more quickly than that. Right. Without doing an appeal? Well... Could you have lived without doing an appeal? <laughs> no, probably. I'm glad I did the appeal. But, uh, but I did spend a lot of time on it, and, and of course it didn't really make any difference. Mm. So um, I did win an appeal, oddly enough. The, you know, there was a committee at the university that met to discuss it and uh, basically found in my favor that the process hadn't I won't go through all the details, but yeah. that the process had not been followed correctly and um, that it should be done over again. Mm -hmm. And so it was done over again, but then the outcome was exactly the same. Okay. So I, I don't oh, really think goodness. that the, it made any difference. Because Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about that, but they're not that, you know, you can dwell on these things mm. forever. Mm. I think this is a basic psychology thing. Once a person or apparently a group makes a decision, yes. then if they have to revisit it, yeah. I think there's a bias towards yes. um, uh, staying with whatever saying, the decision, yeah. you know, like we yeah. did the right thing in the first place. Yeah. So I think you have to overcome that too if yeah. you're gonna appeal something. Yeah. And, um, but I am happy that I did decide to go in a new direction when I started it, that job, to go in the direction of you know, technology to support political decision-making mm. because then when social media did come along, it was very easy to slide into my current research on, mm. um, yeah, social, the use of social media for political decision-making. Right. So I think that was the right yeah. decision. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and again, the very same people who helped me first time around mm. were still there um, second time around. That's so. great. And I'll just again call out Jack Carroll, who's... You know, it's so important to have a mentor mm. all the way through, mm. and he, every step of the way, he's been mm. there to help, mm. not just in the, you know, the, the tangible way of writing letters and all that kind of stuff, but also many other intangible ways of mm. um, giving me advice and um, just listening and things like that. Mm. So how did that mentoring relationship play out practically? Did you have regular meeting slots or was it just catching up when you saw each other or yeah, did you just ping him when you needed, needed a bit of support or advice? Yes, more of those last couple of things. Yeah. So yes, I, I would see him, of course, all the yeah. time uh, yeah. at these conferences and um, then, yes, ping him with something that would happen. And, uh, and I don't know why he was so supportive, but he, he, I expected him to give up all the way along, but he never did that. He expected so. him to go, not Scott again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so somehow he, and then, you know, he also uh, gave, as being, being more senior, he gave me many opportunities to uh, publish something or, you know, to participate mm. in a research project that mm. were very important. Yeah. And some of your interests coincide with some of their um, community. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. The, so um, well, that that turns out to Blacksburg Electronic Village yeah, and all of that work. Yes, definitely. So uh, all their work on um, electronic communities mm. is something that guides my work. Mm. That, so we have mm. those in interests in common. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even though you worked on something totally different when you did work together. Oh yeah, when we did yeah. work together, yeah. we were doing was, TV. Yeah, well, we were doing the intelligent tutoring mm. uh, stuff. Mm which was uh, pretty challenging. Yeah, so Mary, Mary Beth Rossin was doing um, uh, object-oriented design uh, environments, mm. and uh, IBM was very much focused on object-oriented mm. design. So that was the reason we were doing that research. Mm. So what was your own personal journey then dealing, working out how to deal with the second tenure denial? Yeah, so I did, like, well, I just uh, mentioned that I did do the appeal and all that. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe I focused more on it at that time than the first time. Like because now it's, uh, one issue there was that 
it was getting a little later in my career. By this time, this is not a good time to be yeah. not knowing what's coming next. Mm. So and, it was and a little easier. What's your family on. situation at this point? So, uh, yes, yeah, so I mean, is that sort of, yeah, feel, feel free not to answer that. Oh, no, course. okay. Uh, no, I'm, I'm married, and uh, yeah, I met my wife in graduate school, mm. and uh, we're still married, <laughs> and she's been with, with me through all this. So we're two, two academics. Mm. Um, she's in humanities, mm. in philosophy, and uh, Asian studies, Japanese oh. studies. So during this period, yeah, we have a parallel story so how, there. Yeah, how have you, how have you managed, because you know, you've talked about all these different shifts that have entailed moves to different cities in the States. She's had the same situation and uh, has had several uh, positions because mm. she's in humanities. Yeah. Um, we, at first, uh, we, we spent about half of our um, marriage probably um, living in different places, quite different places, Tough. because of different jobs. It's yeah. hard to find jobs in the same place. Yeah. So we back and forth in different different cities, and uh, we don't do that anymore. We have finally decided we're not doing this anymore. We're just like if we can't find two jobs. We'll just have one job. So, um, but yes, during this period of time, she was also dealing with being an assistant professor. Mm. Uh, going through a tenure process, uh, which she also uh, didn't didn't work out for her. So we have had periods where we oh. had this. We we're dealing with exactly the same. Yeah, crying uh, on each other's shoulder. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, lots of uncertainty in terms of the future and for both of us. Yeah. Um, but I think the other thing is I don't know. Somehow you get a. You need to keep a confidence of some kind that you are doing the right thing. I, again, I keep saying this, but it's important to have your community. Mm. And she had the same thing mm. uh, in her uh, art history area. She has a community that she's known for, mm. you know, decades now. Mm -hmm. And they help her along. Same thing yeah. for me. Yeah. But so being flexible there. Now, one thing we didn't juggle, we didn't have kids. Mm. So I think if we had kids, that the story would be really different because yeah. then we have, would have all those issues yeah. to think about, you know, staying in one place or consistency of school and friends for kids and all that. We didn't have to think about yeah. those issues. So mm -hmm. every time one of these things happened, we mm -hmm. could entertain the idea of, oh, let's go to some other state or, mm -hmm. you know, move across the ocean or something like that. Fine, no problem. But it does make it hard to put down roots, though, doesn't it, and get connected somewhere? That has been a difficult aspect of it, because in the community, so your regular life, you know, you have friends out in, in the community, mm -hmm. and uh, in particular, so one of these uh, situations was in Philadelphia, and uh, we really liked it there. We, we developed a very strong local community, and I actually went back to doing theater at that time, yeah, so if we want to return to that story a little bit, the I stayed out of theater because I focused on my career yeah. uh, for 30, 35 years or something like that. And um, then when we were in Philadelphia, there's a lot of local theaters mm. there. And I just thought, maybe I'll go back and mm. try to step on the stage and see how that goes. So I got very involved in doing that locally in Philly, which means building up a whole other community of... Yeah people that you're friends with completely outside of the academic community, all the theater people. And they have a very tight, it's a very tight mm. kind of community. Mm. And to me, a very interesting set of people. Mm. They do very interesting things. So dislodging yourself from that, I found to be an additional uh, difficulty. Yeah. yeah. And getting involved with the theater, was that was that important for self-esteem as well? I think it was, and maybe this is something I'm still sorting out, why yeah. I decided to do that. Because I had really not been interested. I, 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 did, I think I wanted to uh, yeah, begin, so I, it, this corresponds to when I changed the, my research interest to mm. you know, politics and technology. I think maybe I was trying to change other things too, like I just want to broaden mm. my life out a little mm. bit. So, 
yeah, and just have an interest outside of academia. Mm. And I, like I said, I also found the people to be very interesting. In the same way I find people in HCI to be interesting, I think it's exactly the same reason, which is they're very interested in others. Yeah. You know, what are, what are the experiences of other people? Mm. What are their stories? Um, you know, how does that, Im- how can that impact the lives of, in their case, in the actor's case, it's the audience that they care about. And in the HCI researcher's case, it's the user that mm. they care about, but it's very much the same mm. idea. Underlying principle. Yes, yeah. you want to impact yeah. them. You want to allow them to take a journey, whatever they're doing, um, and you want to do that in a way that really you know, maximizes their potential for them to take mm. a journey. Mm. So, and, and then the techniques are very, like I said, we're very mm. similar. Yeah. You, know, you try to take on the persona of, of someone else and mm. communicate that and uh, so on. Mm. So, so I'm really glad I did that. I've, I've continued it. Yeah. It's, it makes it a little harder because then that's an additional consideration about where you're going to live or is there any lively theater there. Mm. Or so how did you pick yourself up and okay, get so onto another? Because you, you clearly did end up at another faculty yeah. position. Well, at that point, I, I basically threw up my hands and said, okay, I'm going to do whatever comes mm-hmm. next. So... Um, I basically applied. For, there weren't a lot of academic jobs floating mm. around at that time, and um, but Hawaii had one, and and I got it. I mean, it was almost as simple as that. It wasn't really too much more to it than mm. that, and it was the only one I got. So that's another thing, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Most of these transitions, I when I applied for jobs, I basically got one job. <laughs> so. Even though it looks like, oh, you know, you can take lots of opportunities and yeah. all this kind of stuff, it yeah. pretty much was that that was the a pathway. Just yeah. was you know one one option each time. Yeah. Although you know you never know what would have happened. I, I applied for jobs, of course, academic jobs. You apply for early, and if I hadn't gotten them, then I was ready to uh, go back into uh, industrial setting mm-hmm. or consulting mm-hmm. or something like that. And would that have would you have seen that as like a, a compromise plan, or was it just another plan? No, I think it, at that point in life, yeah. since I'd already done this a couple times, mm. I think I would have seen it as just the next step and then figure out how to make the best mm. of the next step. Yeah. yeah. So it wouldn't have felt like second best? That always was a little in the background. Yeah. Like, you, you can't help, if, if you have this tenure denial, you can't help but have something in your mm. mind that says, yeah, something wrong with you. You know, you, mm. you really didn't live up to expectations. Mm. So I think that always is sneaking around in there. Yeah. How'd you deal with that? That, that hasn't been an easy thing. Um, but again, I'll say the community of Kai, nobody ever... I, I can remember, like, after it first happened, um, being very nervous about coming back to this conference mm-hmm. or to other conferences. Mm-hmm. People would know this happened. Um, yeah, I feel like, yeah, I was very uh, nervous about mm-hmm. it. But that's not how people treated me. Mm-hmm. They, it was very different, kind of like, how can we help? Um, really sorry that happened. Uh, the university's crazy. You know, they're like totally on my side, right. which yeah. was a nice thing. Yeah. But it must have been a really brave thing to have. Come to, to have made the decision to come back even though you're a bit nervous. Yeah, you just have to do that, mm. I guess. Mm. Mm. I think that's actually, maybe that is very important. Don't, when something like these things happen, I think it's important to just pick yourself up and put yourself back into the mm. game and not and, give up. Yeah. Any practical tips for doing that? S- centering, mm. <laughs> what we were talking about, you mm. know, taking a deep breath and which means, like, who am I at the core? Did, did this really change me? Is this, a, is this a judgment that changed me in some way, or is this some external thing that I just have to deal with? Mm-hmm. And I think seeing it, being able to see it as an external event, mm-hmm. you know, anything could have come along and disrupted your life, yeah. and this is part of what happens in life. So yeah. then you just have to say, why did I start this in the first place, and how can I keep on some kind of trajectory that mm. is satisfying to mm. me. Mm. So I think that helps. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's, it's not an easy thing. I mean, you really, and then you have to make yourself go. You can't just say, I, I give up. Yeah. 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 And did your wife end up getting a job in Hawaii as well? She's had uh, adjunct uh, teaching positions mm -hmm. and, um, you know, a two-year position at yeah. those kinds of things. So, so has it Hawaii's been hard a small for her? place. Yes, it has been. Mm -hmm. She, she's, uh, it's harder, she's in an area where it's more difficult to, you know, get positions mm. and where there are not as many non-academic yeah. positions. Yeah. So a philosopher doesn't have much that they can do. So she yeah. writes, she's a writer. And um, I will say that she publishes more than I do, even without the academic mm. affiliation, mm. although, you know, she goes, uh, and, and she has a, a community at uh, the University of Hawaii um, yeah, but she hasn't landed a job there. Right. So that's a, still a goal for us. Yeah. Not, yeah. And it, I, it has, I guess, changed. I guess my perspective on where you're at at any given time has changed quite a bit because of you know, what's happened through my career. I did think at the very beginning that I did have this model that you would be in my case, a professor, and you would get that tenure, and you would stay there, and you would develop this, you know, uh, body of research that really defined you. Mm. But I think this might be more characteristic of people nowadays mm. that it's going to be much more like jumping from one thing to another. Certainly, outside of academia, yeah. that's going to be the case. Yeah. That yeah. people are going to have to redefine themselves several times yeah. during their career. Yeah. And. I think academia is headed that way too. Yeah. I think that this tenure model is pretty much going to come to an end at some mm. point. And something that you said about you know, reconnecting to what's your core becomes all the more important because that becomes the red thread through yes. your career, not, not your position as might have happened in the past. Yeah, so you wouldn't define yourself by your, your position mm. or your affiliation. I think now you have to define yourself by your your mission in mm. life, you know, mm. my mission is to whatever it is, you know, um, help understand, help people uh, use technology better or... So um, what's your mission? <laughs> That's a good question. I think my mission is still to, I, I really, I'm really happy I went into the area of um, worrying about civic engagement. Mm. And of course, because of the things that have happened recently and U.S. politics and world politics, I'm even more, I, I feel like this is, is more of my mission, is yeah. to worry about how people can be educated about issue, civic issues, how we can engage people. It worries me very much that um, so many people continue to be uninterested in uh, their democracies. I mean, they live in democracies and they don't vote or they... Mm -hmm. and, and now I'm getting, of course, worried about the... Um, the direction that news and information is mm. going, like, like mm. all of us are worried about that. Yeah. But um, I think that's a challenge for, yeah. for us. Well, you, you've certainly got work cut out for you. Yeah, so future. I don't see any end to that no. problem. I only see yeah. that problem getting more and more yeah. So did you important. go into a 10-year process again and at Hawaii? Yeah, so I did it a third time. Yeah, so I guess that I wish it. Been there. Just, you've got to finish it. You've got to tell us how yeah. you got it. <laughs> uh, University of Hawaii has been really fantastic place for me. So now I'm in a computer science department. So I was in a psychology department, then I was in uh, information school, and now I'm in computer science. So I guess one possibility is that computer science fits me better. I don't know. But um, my colleagues there were very supportive. Mm. The tenure process was complete opposite of everything before. Um, in what ways? In the sense of it went as smoothly yeah. as you could possibly imagine. Yeah. Um, every, every vote at every stage and everything was, um, was successful. Now, of course, I was coming into it with a lot of uh, past background, yeah. which was good. And also I had yeah. a big grant, so that helped. Yeah. These days, um, that's really important. I, actually, the what, first What's tenure, really important? Uh, having grants. Having grants. Sadly. Yeah. Although Why that sadly? was not an issue for, I mean, my very first tenure uh, problem mm. 
I, I did have a grant, so it was a, mm. sort of an odd thing. And actually, the second one, too, I had to take a grant from one place out to Hawaii. So at any rate, on the, but, but the third time But why are you saying around, sadly? That oh, because uh, one thing that has definitely changed for academics is the need to um, worry about bringing in money. Mm. So, and it's tied to, uh, money is getting harder to get. Yes. And on the one side, and on the other side, your ability to have students and actually, you know, keep them for some period of time mm. um, requires you to bring in outside mm. money. Mm. So I don't know if I could, you know, my graduate school was all paid for by, um, you know, I didn't have to work outside of school like yeah. so many people yeah. do now. So we have even graduate students who mm. have to work outside of, um, you know, outside of their studies mm. unless you can bring in grant money to uh, give them some stability and to bring in grant money for a long enough period of time yeah. so that they really don't ever have to think about yeah. having a job. That's and what are, what are the success rates of the sort of funding schemes that you would apply for? I think they're down around 10% or something like that. For yeah, and you can't say that the other 90% of proposals represent bad research, can oh, you? Oh, definitely not, no. no. And how much time and effort has gone into doing those, writing about research rather than doing the research? Oh, quite a bit, I would say. Mm. I would say half of all the writing and mm. effort goes into the proposals mm. uh, one way or another. It's not a total waste of time because, mm. in fact, I, I kind of enjoy it because you get, I like to say you're basically making things up. Mm. You know, you make up your dream, what, this is what I would love to do. Mm. So that's a sort of fun, creative writing. Yeah. Of course, at some point you have to yeah. turn it into an actual proposal yeah. that makes some sense, yeah. but it is a aspirational document. Mm. I like to think of it that yeah. way. So it's not a bad kind of writing, but of course it does, unless you get the grant, it has no yeah, nothing you can show for. I mean, it, it is good writing because it does make you articulate yes. and and, th and and organize your thoughts about what you want to do and why and how. Mm -hmm. But as you said, if you don't get to do it, uh, it's dead dead effort. Although well, not, but you know what? No, it's it's almost like the tenure thing. You just all right. If you don't get the grant, then you rework it mm. and you figure out how mm. to change it so that mm. it it has a better chance next time. Mm. And um, you just keep doing that. So. Persistence is extremely important. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the picking yourself up again. Oh yes, the, definitely. Yeah. That's a that's an area where acting has some similarities mm. to to our field, because in acting, of course, you audition for things, mm. and you get a small number of things, mm. and that means you get rejected from a lot of things. So uh, the the idea of being rejected is something you have to deal with in acting, just like you have to deal with it. Yeah. In, publishing yeah. yeah yeah so when you got your tenure did you celebrate yes we had a big uh dinner with champagne and all that kind of stuff wow. yeah definitely it was um it, it was it was a very good moment yeah yes. that was well earned <laughs> hopefully yeah well and now so now i have to think about well now what do i do it was actually another transition point yeah i have to say it really afterwards i had to think about well, now what do I want to do? Mm. Um, so one thing I decided I would do is write more for the general public. We talk about it a lot in yeah. our field. We need to communicate with uh, not just each other, but we need to say how our research is relevant mm. to uh, the general public. Mm. So I've started writing more essays that are uh, either blogs or in non-academic um, venues yep. because I can now. I don't have to worry about that and I feel like it's extremely important. So you can now because you've got tenure and yeah. you, well, when so you're, you're saying you wouldn't have had the freedom to do that before you had tenure. Yeah, you just absolutely can't waste your time I must, mm. on anything that doesn't count on the, the bean counter thing, mm. yeah. And, and blogs and public impact well, it depends I suppose it depends on your where you're at yeah but I would have developed a very I, I wouldn't trust that it's not going that it's going to count I wouldn't yeah. if I were in a trying to get tenure and I wanted to write blogs and people at my institution said oh that'll count you know that'll be like service and 
will count that. I don't even think I'd believe it. <laughs> I think I would give the advice of don't do that. Just mm. don't do that. Because Just focus on your publications. Yeah. Because when that committee gets together, somebody's mm. going to pop up and say, mm. you know, they're going to say that this was a waste of time mm. and you should have had one more, mm. one more publication and maybe you could have had one more publication if you hadn't written the blogs yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So I don't know. It yeah. depends on how much. I, I'm sure that's not always true, but mm. that would be my mm. warning. Act as if it's mm. the only thing that matters are the publications. Mm. So are you happy in your current yeah. academic role and the freedom to do things like writing your blog articles? and? Yeah, actually, it turns out uh, I kind of wish I'd gone this direction in the beginning, computer science. I like the computer science department. Um, I feel, you know, in every field you have people that do related work, but you don't do their, what they do. So in psychology, you know, there were there's the, I don't know, clinical psychologists and they I don't do anything like they do, but mm -hmm. they're colleagues, okay? Mm -hmm. So now I have the same thing. Somebody does algorithms or somebody does parallel, mm. um, you know, mm. processing or something like that. And I don't do that, and I only vaguely understand <laughs> what they do, but I'm much more interested in them than I, than I was in my colleagues, say, in psychology who didn't do what I do. Does that make any yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and somehow... I think they see the value in HCI. Great. Computer scientists seem Great. to see it more than psychologists did, oddly enough. So I feel very comfortable in this situation now. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. That's great. My colleagues are very happy that they're happy about CHI. I tell them about CHI. Mm. It's a premier conference, mm. CSCW. Mm. And um, they all believe me. So it's good. Great. So... I guess, looking to wrap up a bit, do you have any other thoughts? You know, any so, advice or... Uh, yeah, so... Uh, uh, well, thanks for letting me tell this story a little bit because I didn't really... You know, now, now I can tell it, but I honestly didn't make a big deal of it for most of my career. Mm. You know, I tried to basically mm. hide the fact that I, I never mentioned... <laughs> Everybody can figure it out, right? You were at a university for six years, and then all of a sudden you changed. Yeah. Everybody knows why yeah. that happened, but yeah. I didn't make. I try to kind of slide over it most of the time. But now yeah. I feel like it's probably my responsibility to say that these things happen, mm -hmm. and they can. You can persevere through these things. But the the critical issue, I think, is knowing who you are. You know, keeping that focus on your. And, and we're talking in terms of your career, you know, like a research direction. Mm. There's probably knowing who you are as a person too, but yeah. I think it's... They're connected though, aren't they? And they're connected, you, yeah. yes. The things that you care about in your research connect to who you are as a person and what, what you're interested in. I think so, yes. So I think most of us, certainly in this field, we're in this field because mm. we care. Mm about the impact of technology on people mm. or about how people are going to experience uh, the world that mm. we're creating. So I, I do think that's part of most of our personalities. Yeah. So I think focusing, making sure to focus on that and then realizing that you can always you know, jump from one iceberg to the next mm. iceberg and you'll be fine for mm. a period of time. And also just focusing on your community um, the larger community. So I, I just feel, I, guess, I can't stress how much the, the Kai community in general has always been there for me. Like the mm. people in this community, I've known them for decades now, and we're, we're basically going through this all together, is yeah. how I feel. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's really important. And it's hard to develop that early on. It's very intimidating early on. You come in and all these people know each other, and uh, it's very difficult to break. You feel like you have to break some kind of wall. Mm. And so just go ahead and, you know, venture in, I think, and uh, try to break it. Because most of us, I think, are welcoming to people. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, I think you're a, a, an amazing role model for just keeping on. 
and and showing that there's you know there's always a future and there are always new possibilities. Yes, that's a good way to think about it. I think new possi just realize there's new possibilities mm. and embrace that. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. So hopefully, I hope that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you, Scott, for your time. Really appreciate it. I enjoyed it a lot. Thank you, Geraldine, for asking me. You can find the summary notes and related links for this podcast on www.changingacademiclife.com. You can also subscribe to Changing Academic Life on iTunes and now also on Stitcher. And you can follow Change Acad Life on Twitter. And if something connected with you, please consider sharing this podcast with your colleagues so that we can widen the conversation about how we can do academia differently.